Such a privilege to be with you again. My name is Robbie Roberts. I'm a Tyler boy who ended up down here in uh, Texas A&M way back in 1973. And uh, apart from getting a degree in phys ed and history, I met my wife at Grace Bible Church where they do college now. That was all we had back then. And uh, I think it was the biggest gift I got from being down here was to find her. And God led us to Dallas Theological Seminary. And I went there with the idea to go overseas in church planning. And God led us toward Italy. We're both Italian-American in origin, even though Roberts doesn't sound like it. My mother's maiden name is Cicero, Cicero. And I grew up with my uh, Italian grandfather and his broken English uh, my whole life. So God led us back, really, in some ways, to our own roots. And we went to Italy with uh, UFM International, now known as Crossworld, with the idea of planting indigenous reproducing churches. So the goal was to get people saved, organized, maturing into a church, and turn it over to the Italians. Well, <clears throat> we didn't know if that would ever happen. We started with another couple in a area in the south central part of Milan, about one by three miles with about 120,000 people in it, which I don't think Brian and College Station goes much past that, do they? Around there. So if you can think of putting Brian and College Station in a one by three mile area, that's where we were working, and there was no evangelical churches. And we evangelized in every way we could think of. And thank goodness for our co-workers, the Fishers, who helped us and led us through how to begin to do that. And we slowly began to see some people come to know the Lord. And in 1987, we started with uh, January, we started a Sunday morning meeting. But for six years, we never had more than 10 Italian adults on a Sunday morning. Unless we were giving them something to eat. Because if you give Italian something to eat, they'll show up. You don't really need a, a, a doctorate to understand that. And uh, it was really slow. But you know, there was a breakthrough uh, in our lives. As, as God broke us and helped us come to the end of ourselves. And he began to work in us and then through us. We were tired of seeing what we could accomplish. We wanted to see miracles happen. We really wanted to live in the power of his grace. It's so much more joyful and satisfying when he's at work through you and not just what you can do. And we began to see people come to know the Lord. We saw the church grow. And even in uh, 2003, Melissa, Melissa was here with Gabriele a number of years ago, and she was witnessing to a young lady and went to our Easter retreat of 2003, and her husband accepted the Lord, and about a week later she did. They lived in a little town about an hour northwest of Milan, and they wanted to start a church just like ours in Milan. And so we began to go up there and do a Bible study that then started into an every other Sunday afternoon worship service. And some other people got saved and a little church got started. Indigenous reproducing Italian church. So the church in Milan was beginning to reproduce itself. And then in March of 2006, uh, the wife of our worship leader asked us to go down and talk to her parents in central Italy. And I didn't want to go. I had enough. I was going six times a, a month, out an hour both ways to go out to Sesto Calende with the work there and other things going on. And uh, Rose and I argued, but she had a real strong leading from the Lord. And so we went and she was right. 
as usual. And we met with this couple who had some problems with some legalistic churches, even from 10 years ago, and some forgiveness issues. And God led, and a Bible study started with them and another couple. The summer after that, we went again, and 20 people came. And by October of 2006, a church of 20 was meeting. And they, we were, I was going down once a month. And uh, thank goodness, Terrence and Hillary began to take over the Sesto Colende work. And in October of 2007, this church made a real strong call. And it, it's a long story, but God's leading was very clear for us to move from Milan five hours south to central Italy on the Adriatic coast, about two hours east of Rome, to a little town called Mosciano, to begin starting a new church plant. And we had a great joy of uh, last September. The church of Milan, there was a commissioning service. First of all, we prayed and commissioned Gabriele as the pastor of the church in Milan. So we handed over the church to Gabriele Guidi and an Italian leadership team who were all on the stage and laid their hands on us and prayed for Gabriele and Melissa. And then they prayed for Terrence and Hillary Luker, a young American couple that we had been mentoring for a number of years. And they went out and moved to Sesto Colende. Then they prayed for us and sent us down to, to uh, Mosciano in central Italy. And so we have seen God do miraculous, wonderful things that we weren't sure were ever going to happen, even after 20 years in Italy. Just in the last four years, God has really moved in miraculous ways. And the church in Milan is still growing. So we are real excited. You can continue to pray for them. Terrence and Hillary are slugging it out in a very difficult area. It's a beautiful area to live, but it's also one of the highest in occultism, uh, the occult practice and work, worship in that area. And we are now down in central Italy. So uh, we do covet your prayers for each of those three works. And each have uh, tremendous needs. But this morning, I would like to talk to you about Psalm 90. If you'd open your Bibles to Psalm 90. This is the oldest psalm in the Psalter. This psalm was written by Moses. The only one we have for him. And to tell you the truth... What we're going to do this morning does not do justice to this psalm. So I would encourage you to read and reflect and study this when you have time. Uh, this psalm is a prayer. It doesn't seem that way when you start. But toward the end, beginning in verse 12, we're going to look at three requests that Moses makes of God. But before we start that, you have to realize the context of this psalm. See, Moses probably... We don't have, it's not 100% sure, but probably he wrote this psalm not long after the great disaster, the great mistake. I'm sure you know the story, but I will just go over it briefly for you. Because Moses was in the wilderness tending sheep and God spoke to him through the burning bush and said, go set my people free. Well, he didn't want to go, but he did. God worked through him to do Ten incredible miracles of plagues, of destruction, and the people were set free. They crossed the Red Sea on dry land. They saw the Egyptian army destroyed in that same sea. They followed a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. A people of approximately two million ate 
every day from the manna they gathered. And in the desert they drank because water gushed forth from a rock. The most incredible miracle that happened, however, was when God spoke to them. Because if you go back and read Exodus 20 carefully in the surrounding passages, you'll find that everyone had to sanctify themselves and they were camped around Mount Sinai. And God descended on the mountain and it began to shake and lightning and thunder. And he spoke and they all heard the Ten Commandments and were terrified. In fact, they said, from now on, Moses, would you please do that? You go up and talk to God. So with all of these miracles that they had seen and experienced firsthand, these people come to Kadesh Barnea to go into the promised land. They send out 12 spies. Of course, two came back saying we can do it with God's power. But 10 of them convinced the people that there are giants in the lands and great walled cities. We'll never get in. We'll never win. God's taken us here to have us die in the promised land. And because of their unbelief, they were condemned, everyone 20 years old and older, to wander in the wilderness for 40 years and die there. I did a little bit of math, even though I didn't get an engineering degree at AM. And if uh, there are 2 million people, and you take the age of 20 and up, that's approximately 3 4, so about 1.5 million people were going to have to die, except for Joshua and Caleb. Divide that by 40 years, 365 days by, times 40 into a million five, you get about 70 people a day, approximately, that were dying. I think we forget that in the wandering in the wilderness, in the desert, it was not only a time of wandering, but it was primarily characterized by death. Every day someone was dying. And they knew they weren't going to get into the promised land. How would you like to know that your life, because of a mistake you made or someone close to you had made, you are condemned to living the rest of your life under those kinds of circumstances? It's kind of hard to find significance. It's kind of hard to find meaning for your life in those circumstances. Well, I think the Holy Spirit led Moses to write this psalm and search God for answers for how his life could have meaning. Would you have liked to have been Moses and lead this rebellious, sniff-deck people for 40 years in the wilderness just to die? Let's read beginning in verse 1. It says, Lord... You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Moses probably got up in the morning with the mountains around him, gazing upon their majesty and their grandeur, and their, their so unmovable and, and large, and, and began to think about God. Before the mountains, before the earth was born, you are our all-powerful, eternal creator God. And he goes on to contrast this amazing God with how 
fragile and fleeting our lives are. He says, you turn man back into dust and say, return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by. Or as a watch in the night. God is eternal. He's above time. A day or a four-hour watch is like yesterday. And yet, our lives, they're like a flood. When a flood comes, the water passes quickly, destroys, and it's gone. Or we're like a flower or grass that comes in the morning and sprouts and blooms and is cut and by night is withered. We're like a, a bird that flies away. Our life is but a vapor. You know, it is... The contrast is so stark. And it's so easy for us to forget. We ran into this when uh, we had a reminder, April 6th, this past year. See, our little town is only 50 miles away from a place that you probably heard about, Aquila in Italy. Because at 3.30 in the morning our bed started jumping up and down, and Rose woke up. And her first thought was, why is Robbie jumping on the bed? Which I can't remember having ever jumped on our bed, but uh, why is he jumping on the bed? And then she came fully awake, and we had been hearing about the, the tremors and earthquakes that were happening on a small scale in Aquila. And I woke up, but... There was a, a major earthquake happening just 50 miles away. And that night, 300 people died. And a city was not totally destroyed, but many buildings fell and most buildings were damaged severely. There was a, a small evangelical church there. And I'd been praying for three months with a pastor of that church. who has a real heart for all of our region of Abruzzo where there are very few churches. And we got in touch with them and went up there. And as we talked to some of the people, one couple told us that night, they were laying in bed and, and the whole building began to shake. And they're an elderly couple and she was just going to roll over and, and hold her husband and probably just die there in their bed. But they heard their daughter scream from the other room and they reacted and tried to get out. The daughter had been not had been able to sleep in on her computer. And before her, she saw the the outside wall to their apartment just split and open, like in a film. So they had to break down doors, and, they man- and God was gracious to them. They managed to get outside. Their building has been condemned. I talked to another man who had just driven home, parked his car from his night shift of work, and saw a four-story apartment building ripped from its foundations, twisted around, and then fell. The next day, there was another earthquake that sent waves running through all the streets. One man said he saw a car when it got thrown up and turned over. Everyone in Aquila either went to live on the coast in in, uh, hotels, but the majority went to live in tent cities throughout the entire city. And the first week or two, we began to go up once or twice a week to twice a week to help out as we could in practical ways and also in talking to people. 
And the people who had stared death in the face, it was amazing. It was like being at a retreat. People were hugging each other. There was such a sense of relief of having survived. It didn't matter what they lost, but they were there. And they were caring for each other and worried about each other. And just there was a sense of thankfulness for being alive. But you know, an amazing thing happened. By the third week, we came back. And our pastor friend told us, and then we observed, that that feeling had already passed. People were arguing about how long they had to wait to get to a shower. They had to put in security measures because people were stealing from each other in the tents. They're arguing over the food. They're thinking about them and their needs and what they could get or what they didn't have. You know, because we, as human beings, have a very hard time realizing that our lives are short. We live as if we have all the time in the world. And we saw that in Aquila. And it's true in our own lives. And so you know what Moses prays in verse 12? Let's read verse 12. He says, So teach us to number our days, that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Well, obviously he's not asking them to be able to count their days out because they've already had a very clear word from God that no one's getting past 40 years. If you're 20, you're not going to see 61. That there is a definite time. So what he's telling them is teach us to count our days so that our days may count for eternity. Teach us to realize that each day in and of itself is significant and important and that that day will really count. We've noticed that as people come to visit us or come to visit Italy in general, that they make their days count. They fill them up. Usually if somebody comes, they're going to see Venice, Florence, and Rome for the first trip at least. If they have a limited amount of time, they're going to see those three places, and that's right. And they go to the tour books, and they go on websites, and they talk to people that have been there. And they organize their time and they know what they're going to see and where they're going to eat and where they're going to stay. And if you talk to them at the end, they can tell you what they did every day. They can show you pictures and film clips of what they've done. And they didn't waste any time. Because they realize, I've got seven days, ten days, two weeks, and I may never come back. And I want to see everything I can see while I'm there. They learned how to count their days. You see, we're dealing with something that's much more difficult. Because if we learn how to count our days, God has to teach us. He has to give us His perspective, His outlook on our life situations. We have to have in mind His priorities. And he needs to teach us what are the goals or the ends that he wants to accomplish. So that our days really do count for eternity. And as he begins to teach us, then we gain, we harvest a heart of wisdom. 
Because wisdom is skillful living. Living with great skill in each situation, knowing God's perspective, His priorities, and the goals that He wants to accomplish. You know, in Milan, uh, when we were still up there, even this past year, we came up for a number of days of prayer, we call them. Our missionary, missionary colleagues in Milan get together once a month, and we come together for a time of worship and prayer, and then we share requests from our lives and ministries. And we pray for each other for a day. And one time, not long ago, one of the missionaries asked, do any of y'all have any regrets for having come to Italy as a missionary? And we thought about it, you know. You've left family and friends in your own culture. To come to a place where there's opposition and discouragement and a decadence a moral decadence that uh, it's hard for you to imagine, even though it's unfortunately growing here in America. To be assured of the fact that you'll never be able to acquire wealth or importance as the world judges. It was amazing, not a single one of our missionaries talked about regrets. They talked about God's goodness, about people getting saved, about their, their lives and their children's lives being changed, churches being planted, and how God had been so good in so many different situations. And we realized what a privilege it was to be able to work alongside of people that knew how to count their days so that God could make their days count for eternity. But you see, it would be easy to have regrets. In fact, here this morning, some of you may be here. And you know, there have been problems or sins or mistakes in your life. And there may be regrets about what has happened. The circumstances or consequences under which you're living. Could be that sin that just haven't been able to give up or give over to the Lord and see victory. Maybe a, a call upon your life for service of some kind that you've been ignoring for too long. And you've just been living like, well, I've got all the time in the world. You know, God can, can reach the end and this day begin to make you live as if, as if each day counts. You know, there was a young couple that was brought to our church, an Albanian couple, Elir and Neri. Neri was studying art at the Brera Conservatory. And she was brought by an art student and brought her boyfriend along, Elir. And they had an amazing testimony for our church that's only from God's grace. They came in and they said, we found such love and acceptance in this church, we knew God had to be here. And so they came back again and again. It wasn't long before they asked about Jesus and they asked Jesus to come into their lives and to save them. And then they began to bring their friends who were all young people except for one person, El Pidio. El Pidio is about this tall. He's about this wide. And I can comfortably put my arm around him. Now we have a little trouble if we want to 
uh, greet each other the Italian way, straight on. But anyway, Elpidio has not lived a good life. He met Elir and Neri because he lives in this scary tenement in a one-room apartment. And he has a life filled with a broken marriage, bad business, shady business deals, and race courses. But he liked coming to church because people respected him and treated him well. Until one day, he went to the doctor and found that he had colon cancer. And his days were numbered. They'd even told him a very short time span that he probably still had to live. We got serious about knowing who this Jesus is. And he accepted Jesus into his life. A couple of months, he went back to the doctor after some treatment. And they couldn't find anything. God had just miraculously, without any medical explanations, had reached in, touched his body, and healed him. And had miraculously given him more time to be able to count his days and make each day count for the Lord. He was one of the last men that I baptized in Milan before we went down to central Italy. And I keep hearing news about him that he's still bringing others to the church, that he's reaching out, that God's at work in a pedio's life to make him really count each day so that his days will count for eternity. But you know, Moses didn't stop with just this request. He went on in verse 14 and said, Oh, satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. You know, I can see Moses a few years after Kadesh Barnea and the weight of the task that he has knowing that these people are just going to die. They're not going to get in. If you read Numbers and some of the other accounts of the rebellions and the problems that they had, the stiff-decked rebellious people, he's going out in the morning with his bucket or whatever he had to gather these little gray pellets, the manna, for him and for his family, just what he needed for that day. And as he goes out there by himself and he's picking up his manna, he says, satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness. Fill me with your unfailing love, with your loyal love. It's the chesed of the Old Testament, a term that's the closest that we have to grace in the New Testament. So that I may sing for joy. Now, if I was in Moses' position, I don't think that I would have much desire to sing for joy. I've been condemned with these people to lead you for 40 years in the desert, eating the same thing morning, noon, and night. No change whatsoever. Try it for a week. Choose something and eat it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Sometimes my wife makes this uh, rice salad that they make in Italy. And when she makes it, she makes proportions that are gargantuan. And we eat it 
uh, maybe once a day for the better part of a week. And by the end of the week, you ought to hear the comments. And that's just one week. Every day they're eating the same thing. And so we ask God, fill me with your wondrous love and your grace. Satisfy me with your presence. Because the only thing that can really satisfy us deep down is a personal encounter with our all-powerful, eternal creator God. Every morning. See, he's not just talking about a time of devotions. Because those are important. But in those times of devotion, we want to meet personally, intimately, vitally with our God. And ask him, along with Moses, satisfy me with your wondrous love and grace. You know, I think it's easy for us to look for our satisfaction in other events, other people, other relationships. I know it's easy. I, I have three sons and a daughter, but the three sons were great sleepers, sound sleepers. My youngest, Paul, who's not here with us this morning, is at the Anderson Street, but he is the ultimate sound sleeper. April 6th, when our bed was jumping up and down, and his probably was too, slept right through the earthquake. Never woke up. In the morning when I go in to wake him, I can wake in the, walk in the room and yell, Paul! So if anybody's sleeping, they're awake now. Uh, and he doesn't wake up. I have to shake him to wake him up. You know what? It's amazing if they're headed to Six Flags or Schlitterbahn. They're in there waking me up. They're up so early in the morning because there's something that day that they're going to be doing that they're really excited about. They're not having to go to school or do something else. They're doing something they're really going to find satisfaction in. And God gives us these delights and treats along the way. And there's great joy that day for what they're going to be doing. But I tell you what, if you had to go to Schlitterbahn every day, or Six Flags every, every day, after a while, get old. If you think that you're going to have your joy and satisfaction just because you're going to be with family, or with friends, or do something special, we get, how many times at Christmas you've probably been disappointed at the holidays when things go wrong? Our only satisfaction, our only joy, true joy, comes from being filled with God's wondrous love and grace. You've probably heard about George Mueller. George Mueller, back in the 1800s, in England, near Bristol, England, God led him by faith to take in some orphans. Start an orphanage. And you've probably heard the stories of where he would pray... They would be praying, and sometimes they would have no food whatsoever in the house. And right before they had to eat, someone would bring food and leave it on the doorstep. Or a check or money would arrive just in time so that they could go and buy the necessary provisions. And they lived, not with, depending on a foundation or certain offerings, but they lived on faith in God and God alone for years. And they didn't just, at the end, have one orphanage, but they had many with hundreds of orphans. 
You know, that would, could be a very pressure-filled, stress, stressful life. Do you know what I read where in his early morning devotions, in his quiet time, he had one primary goal, and that was to come out happy. To be in a good mood, to be in good spirits. To have God fill him with his love and joy and his presence. Now, if you're reading through the Bible in a year, or if you're reading certain books or studying, please keep that up. Because God will speak to you through that. But I think that you can ask God, as Moses did, satisfy me, fill me with your love. You know, God responds and answers according to his will. And he wants us to be filled with that. You know, Moses had one more request that he brought before. Not just to teach me to count my days so they'll count for eternity. Satisfy me with your wondrous love so that I may sing for joy. But he goes on in verses 16 and 17. And he says, take the works of my hand and make them have an eternal impact. Three, he says, verse 16, let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. If you look in the margin, make it permanent. What he's asking is that even though I'm wandering around in this wilderness, in this desert, And nothing seems to make sense. What's the point? Unless I'm going to just lay here and die, I've got to get up and get the manna. But until that cloud moves, we've got to stay here. And then it's going to move us over there, but it never takes us to the promised land. It's always in the desert. What's the point? I don't know what the circumstances are in your life, but you may ask the question, what's the point? God's put me in this job. He's got me in this family. I'm in this degree program. What's the point? I don't seem to be doing anything that's really eternally significant. Moses was praying, make the works of my hands have eternal impact. You know, there's a passage that we as evangelicals, it's probably one of our favorites and it should be, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. If I ask, probably most of you could uh, quote that. But I'll read it. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, the salvation, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And up to this point, a lot of people have learned that by heart. Verse 10, though, says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. See, once we've believed by faith, and by grace we've been saved, placing our faith in Jesus... 
He's already prepared for you the works that he wants you to walk in. And a true child of God is led by the Spirit. And as we depend by faith on the Spirit, he will lead us in our daily walk. And he will make the things that he has given us to do to have eternal impact. Sometimes he interrupts our schedule of what we've set out, and he wants us to do other things. We need to be open to that. There was one time in our church in Milan a number of years ago where an elementary-age boy and a middle school-age boy were taken away from their mother because she was declared by a judge to be negligent and put in a government home. Well, this negligent mom would take a three-hour train ride up to this lake place where the government home was and visit her sons, take a three-hour train back, and then the next day on Sunday do the exact same thing. And one day I told her, I said, well, I'll go up with you. I'll take you up and we'll get your boys and we'll bring them back so they can go to the youth group. Because they had been part, one of them had been part of the youth group. And so I gave a ride. Picked up these two boys and brought them back and they participated in the youth group. Well, about a year or two later, one of the older boy was getting baptized. And in his testimony at his baptism, he shared that that day he had planned on taking his life. He was going to commit suicide. And that God had used me to save his life by taking him to the youth group where he had fellowship and heard the word of God and was encouraged and that that saved his life. All I did was give a ride. How important is that? Have any of you ever given a ride? You can raise your hand. See if everybody's awake, okay? A lot of you have given rides. It's not that big a deal. But you know, if you are being led by the Spirit and doing God's work, the simple, mundane, everyday things that we do can have eternal impact. And sometimes God is gracious and lets us even know the impact that they had. The rest of eternity we'll begin to find out as we're with believers in heaven. Another time, we were asked to go down to a little brethren church just south of Milan and do an evangelistic outreach. We had a, a, some young people that were pretty good at mimes, and so we took our mime group down there. And when I got there, I was really a little disgusted. There were 80 people there, which was a good number. But the problem was, I knew just about all of them, and they were all believers. So it's like... So why did you ask us to come to an evangelistic outreach if you weren't going to ask any non-Christians to come? People that don't believe in Jesus. Now, there was one young man, and so we went ahead and did the mimes, and I preached an evangelistic message, and rose and went over and led that one guy to the Lord. But uh, what I didn't know that day was that uh, a good friend of mine, Massimo Guidi, has a place a little further up in the mountains where we do our ghetto camps. And his son had come in that night. Well, I thought God, this young man was uh, already a believer growing up in a Christian home. He was about 19. He'd come to find his dad at the church because he wanted some money so he could go out drinking with his buddies. It was a Saturday night. And he heard the message and went home that night and gave his life to Jesus. This was the young man that we turned the church over to this past September, Gabriele Guidi. 
You never know when you're just being faithful, following the Lord's direction, doing the everyday things, life, how God's going to make your works have eternal impact. My wife keeps a very orderly, clean home. But Italians are maniacs. Cleaning maniacs. You may not get that impression. The outside of their homes or their streets may not be that great. But if you go into one of their homes, they are immaculate. The floors shine. They want to ask you how often, how many, in other words, how many times a week do you wash your windows? And I asked Rose, well, weeks? She said, no, months? How many times a year do you wash your windows? Which may be more the case for you too, but they... They're, they're cleaning all the time. And so they don't want kids coming in and messing up their house. A lot of places that you come in and you have to take your shoes off, put on these little house shoes that sort of buff the floors as you walk. <laughs> I'm not kidding. But anyway, so Rose had an open house and our kids' friends all came over and played and they hung out with her and as she was cooking and doing other stuff and she talked with the kids because they could come in and mess the house up and it didn't really matter. And just be kids. Well, a number of them got led to the Lord and she led them to the Lord. And right now in the church in Milan, out of those kids that were in our home, there are leaders of the Children Bible Club, the Scouts. There's a leader on the worship team and one of the leaders of the college and career group. Just by being a mom. Just by doing what God asks you to do and to be the person that he wants you to be so that being led by the Spirit, your works can have eternal impact. See, I think we need to daily pray this prayer with Moses. Because it's so easy for us to live as if we have unlimited time. Today's just another day. Today is a day that we need to count and consider and ask, teach me, Lord, to make this day count for eternity. Give me a heart of wisdom so I know your perspective on the situations I'll face today, so I'll keep in mind your priorities and that you can accomplish your ends through me. Satisfy me with your wondrous love and grace. So regardless of the circumstances I'm living whether it be good, bad, or really difficult, I can sing for joy. Because my satisfaction is from your grace and your love. And Lord, today, make the works of my hands count for eternity. Let's pray. Well, Father, I thank you for your servant Moses and how you led him to craft this psalm and to come to you with these requests. Father, how we need to pray them every day. And I ask you, Father, to teach us to count our days so they count for eternity, to satisfy us with your wondrous love and grace that we may sing for joy and to make our works, the works of our hands, have eternal impact for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to pray for Robbie and for the work in Italy.
Um, it's been really neat. Julie and I got to go over and visit them a few years ago when all of the thought of moving out to new fields was a hope, and now it's it's happened. So it's been really neat for us in a very short amount of time to see God do some things that they had been hoping for forever that we had dreamed about, and, and now God is doing them. So uh, let's let's pray for them, for the Lucas and the Guides, and what God is doing in Italy. Uh, Lord God, we thank you so much for the chance we have this morning to hear from Robbie. Uh, thank you for his words, Lord. Uh, they, they mean so much to us because you have taught him about this psalm through the experiences of life, Lord. And he has come to find a satisfaction in you in the midst of uh, difficult work, Lord. Thank you so much for what you've done, especially in the last few years, as you have done um, some, some wonderful and even surprising to us, not surprising to you, things in the, in the country of Italy and, and planting these new churches, Lord, and, and broadening and expanding the work that is being done for your kingdom there. Lord, we pray for your protection on the Roberts. We pray, Lord, that you would watch over them and bless their family. We pray for rest and refreshment in the midst of a busy schedule here in the States. We pray for safe travel for them, Lord. We pray also, Lord, for the Lucas and for the Guides that you would watch over and protect them, Lord. Um, keep them from the evil one, Father, and give them strength, give vitality to their ministries, Lord, and let them be effective, Lord, in the advancement of your kingdom. We pray that your gospel would go forth ever more powerfully in Italy, Lord, and that this country would uh, come to know you, that, that thousands and, and even millions would come to worship your son, Jesus Christ, in the nation of Italy. Uh, we pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, sir.